Welcome to the shit show of my 20s. My name's Sophia, and I am so glad you're here. I am a 20-something in my early 20s, and I was going through my fair share of shit show moments, and I'm sure there's more shit show moments to come. So much fun. But it's while I was going through these moments, I was realizing I'm probably not the only 20-something who feels this way. So I decided to start this podcast back in 2020, and it's been incredible. And I love interviewing these inspiring people. And I hope that through these stories, you're able to see yourself in these stories. And it would mean the absolute world to me if you would share it with a friend as well as leave me a review on iTunes. It makes a huge difference. I put so much time and energy into this podcast and it would mean the world to me. So without further ado, let's get started. Today's guest is Shannon. I love chatting with her. She is a therapist, author, and YouTube creator specializing in helping people deal with and heal from narcissistic, abusive, and other toxic relationships. Her new book, Out of the Fog and Into the Clear, has earned a number one Amazon bestseller status in codependency, self-help from abuse, and personal transformation. Her YouTube channel, Therapist Talks, offers information, insights, and strategies on a wide range of mental health issues and has over one and a half million views. She is a trauma-informed, strength-based approach. She helps people identify their self-limiting old stories and negative internal self-talk that create poor self-care and self-destructive relationship patterns. And this healing clears the way for a person who is able to become all they were created to be. In this episode, we go into so many incredible things from why we stay in toxic relationships, how to know that your relationship is toxic, how to know that you're in a healthy relationship, her journey out of toxic relationships, and so much more. So excited for you guys to hear this episode. Let's get started. So thank you so much, Shannon, for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to getting to know you. So I'd love to start. Tell me about your 20s. Feel free to include any shit show moments we might resonate with. <laughs> Let's start there. Uh, thanks for having me, Sophia. I cracked up when I saw the title of your show and I thought, oh man, that resonates totally. So yeah, I'm a therapist and an author and things are going great now, but man, the 20s were awful. <laughs> and so I thought, man, this is a great place to go with this. And, and it, going into my 20s, I had a very toxic relationship with a very abusive, narcissistic person. And luckily, I was already set to go to college. And so that created a natural separation for a couple of months. And during that time, I was able to sort of see through the fog and get myself free and clear. Although there were a few more trauma episodes that had to happen while I was getting free of that. And that was really tough. And and I think that kind of informed some of my desire to become a therapist. So then going into college, I had some really wonderful relationships. But because of the toxic relationship I had inside my own head, I actually created a shit show out of all that. And that was really sad that I couldn't sort of resonate with a really healthy relationship because of what was sort of lodged inside of me. And and then I had a terrible therapist in college that really didn't help me out of that situation. In fact, probably co-signed my BS, uh, as we call it in the field, and helped me to kind of stay in that sick, twisted place where I was blaming other people instead of myself. And then, but the one thing that came out of that that was good is that I think that that made me want to become a therapist, made me want to figure this stuff out. Because I always felt like I was flying 
blind. And that's part of why I do the YouTube channel and my book and everything else that I do. And now podcasting is because I want to help other people not have to figure it out the hard way and do everything the hard way, but actually sort of have a roadmap, a radar reality to get out of the fog. In the midst of that, I did decide to go to grad school and become a, a therapist. And, and in the midst of that, I saw we had a, a class on addictions and I realized that some of the problem that was going on was drinking and drugging. And, and I was able to just sort of wake up one day and say, that is not adding anything helpful or healthy to my life. And so I dropped that. And that was sort of the turning point, I would say. And then I started to look around and say, I got to put a bunch of healthy, fun things into my life. So I started to kayak and windsurf and cross-country ski patrol. And, and I uh, gained a whole bunch of new friends. And I had a, a really fun time and, and started to really figure out who I was and put together a career and put together better relationships and and uh, that sort of thing. I love that because you took something that was like not like the best scenario, like something really hard and you turned it into, mm. you know, your book now, your career, everything that you're doing now, which is beautiful. And going back to like, I love this fog analogy, right? Because like when we're in the fog, like nothing's clear. Like we're kind of like just like stuck in a way and kind of like slowly moving, but we're not really moving that much. And I'm curious for you, like when someone's in a toxic relationship and they're like, like in that fog, how do they like see outside of the fog or are they even able to unless they like remove themselves from the relationship for a couple months like you did? I think that you can. The fog analogy really works for me because I'm a sailor and I just love sailing. And that, that experience of being in the fog is so profound. You are literally paralyzed because you know that if you move forward without any lines on a radar screen, you may be hitting rocks. You may be running aground and even staying still isn't safe because a ship can come and hit you. So you have to get some sense of clarity. And I call that our radar reality. And, and that's what is the first important step in getting clear of the fog is that you have to recognize what are the facts of this relationship separate from my emotions, because your emotions are all wrapped up, trauma bonded and messed up within that relationship. Whereas the facts are there. And if you really step back and journal, write down the facts or talk with a good friend about the facts of the relationship, you can actually get some clarity and go and people will do that and in session with me and then fall back into the fog because their emotions get wrapped up but we have to recognize there are these two parts of our brain there's that little emotional mind the amygdala which is just firing off on all the emotional reactivity that comes at us and that emotional mind is really important but we also have a cognitive processing part of our mind the, the rational mind our wise mind if you will and so we have to look at things from our wise mind and quiet down the emotional mind for a minute. <laughs> and that's really hard because we, you know, even our culture says, go with your heart. And that's the worst advice you could ever give anybody in a toxic relationship because they're going to stay in it forever. They're going to hope the best, wish the best, believe the best. And those are wonderful qualities, but those can keep you sucked into that relationship forever. So you have to go upstairs into your wise mind and say, wait a minute, this person devalues me. They make me feel terrible sometimes. They, they run me down. They've separated me from my people. They're gaslighting me all the time. They're, they call me names. They go off on a, on a tangent and, and make me feel like I'm the worst person in the world. And then they say they love me. What kind of screwball stuff is that? So when you line up the facts, then you can quiet down the emotional mind, make a good decision and start to walk your way out. Mm, it's so interesting. And do like you have to like take people into their wise mind like over multiple <laughs> sessions? Or do you feel like, because I feel like it's like the you go into a wise mind and you're 
you're like, wait, 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 my love is first, and then you go back into the emotions. Like, I feel like there's like this like kind of like fight between the two within us. And like, how do you like take someone like out of the emotions and like be able to consistently keep them there? Or is it like constantly like a fight of like trying to get to like this person about like leaving the relationship? I think it's a battle. And and I think recognizing the two parts of our mind is really, really critical because that was the piece I didn't know when I was in my shit show. (laughs) And nobody told me that, you know, you can love somebody and leave them. You can love somebody and feel so like wanting to stay in that relationship, but recognize it's really toxic and that you've become emotionally and spiritually and maybe even financially bankrupt in the midst of that and that it's tearing you down over the years or months that you're in it. And you can still feel very connected and very in love with that person. That's not important. That That's sort of secondary. And to wait until you don't love that person anymore is unnecessary. You can love and leave. And then we talk about emotionally leaving. Like you can actually stay in a relationship and be emotionally leaving. So some people, you know, most people in a longer term relationship will take time to separate. Sometimes the relationship ends and then they have to emotionally separate. I've had clients who have been left and by an abusive person and it was, the, you know, such a blessing in a sense, but they were so emotionally trauma bonded to that person that it took months and months to sort of clear out the the trauma bond, even though that person was no longer there. So we have to emotionally leave as well as physically leave sometimes. And the and trying to sort those things out starts with that internal recognition that there are two parts of me and that this little emotional mind could stay connected for a while. And I can still make that clear, conscious decision to leave. Mm, such a good point. You can love and leave because we think that like by loving we have to stay and we never mm-hmm. think that we have that option to love and leave and like i would love right. if you could go deeper into like trauma bond and what that means yeah this is also a part that i didn't get and i didn't understand and so the trauma bond is a really complex set of things that happen in, inside of us i think we first started to understand this when they talked about you know a hostage becoming bonded to their captor and that can happen and when you're in a traumatic relationship even if it's emotionally traumatic and the thing is is that we kind of diminish the impact of emotional trauma but if somebody is cycling and that's, I think, the critical part that a lot of people miss. It's not just that this person is awful all the time. That would be easy. That person's a jerk. I'm out. This person is love bombing you and then devaluing. And then when you start to get sick of their devaluing, they love bomb you again. So they suck you back in and then you start to feel comfortable, but they don't want that because they want you under their control and manipulation. And so then they devalue you again. And so this back and forth, back and forth is what's sucks you into it so that you start to devalue yourself and then their work is done. When you are internally devaluing yourself and blaming yourself for everything that's going on, taking yourself to task every time they blow up, that is their work complete because then you're doing all that to yourself all the time. They cannot even be around and you're still tearing yourself down inside your own head. And so that's a big part of the trauma bond and the back and forth and the cycling is a part of the trauma bond, separating you off from your people so that you 
you have no reality testing is a big part of it as well. So that over time, you feel like they're the only ones that will ever love you. You are completely unworthy and unlovable and that you've got to stay because you're living on their breadcrumbs and there aren't any other breadcrumbs in the whole entire world for you. So it becomes this, I can't survive without them, even though they're your worst enemy. And that's where that fog is so deep and so thick that you're not seeing clearly um, and you need those facts before you can figure that stuff out. But sometimes those facts come from other people and we don't want to acknowledge them or we want to diminish them or say, oh yeah, but you don't really understand this person like I do. You don't know them like I do and, and they're really lovable and wonderful and they love me and blah, blah, blah. But we that's part of coming out of the fog is to recognize the facts from our own knowledge and also listen to the facts from those people who love us, who have tried to sort of share with us that they see us going down this dark hole into this negative relationship. Mm, wow. And for you, once you got out of that toxic relationship, did you start doing like getting into therapy right away and like looking at like the different things and realizing, oh, this is why I did this and did this and then went into the healthy relationship? Or was it like that toxic relationship, another toxic relationship, and then eventually a healthy relationship? Or I'm curious what your kind of journey looked like there. Oh, it was a mess. <laughs> And no, I didn't get into therapy. It was it was not something that was kind of, I don't know, done in our family. You know, there were other families who sent their kids to therapists, but not mine. And so I didn't really have any help that way. So when I went into college, I had some great friendships and, and a really positive relationship. And, th- and then I started to sabotage that positive relationship in my last two years of college. And, and my final year of college was really busy digging a hole and burying it. <laughs> And I went and I saw the therapist on campus and she was, I guess you would call her a Carl Rogers fan. And and Carl Rogers was just this psychotherapist who just supported and loved you and, and just encouraged and supported whatever BS you were shoveling. And that was so not helpful. In fact, I think she really helped me dig the hole and, and bury that relationship completely. So that was really sad for me. And that was part of what kind of created in me an intrigue towards why does this happen? From there, I went into another semi-positive relationship and then a really terrible negative relationship for four years that was on and off, on and off and a real mess. And then kind of finally after grad school and after getting into a really good therapist situation, was able to figure things out and and get into a a healthy marriage. Mm -hmm. Well, all worked out. You got the healthy marriage, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, I've had two because my first marriage ended in, in him becoming terminally ill and passing away. And then I have been remarried for the last 12 years and super, super happy, super healthy relationship uh, with a wonderful man. So it did all end well. And yes, I I was a miserable 20 something, but but it all sorted itself out or I sorted it out with the help of a lot of good people. Mm. I'm wondering, because like getting out of that toxic relationship, like if the next relationship you go into is like healthy, like sometimes it feels uncomfortable. Sometimes you're like, wait, what is this? Like, this is not what I'm used to because like it's almost like the toxic relationship I feel like kind of trains you to be in toxic relationships so like how do you deal with that discomfort and like being in your first healthy relationship outside of the toxic relationship like what should you be doing to make that your new normal 
Yeah, so that's another really important piece that I talk about in my book right off the bat, and that is our toxic relationship within ourselves. So most of us are just running ourselves down inside our own heads constantly. And some people do that because they grew up with that in their family and, you know, from a sibling or parents or or what have you, or even bullying in school. So it it comes from somewhere. Some people came from healthy families, got into a toxic relationship, and then began to run themselves down and then continue that process. So in order to get well and to get free, we all, we have to really address that toxic relationship within ourselves. And that was the piece that I didn't know and didn't do so that when I got into a healthy relationship, I didn't it didn't resonate for me and I had to trash it. And so that's really, really critical. And when a therapist had me write down all the times that I was de- degrading myself inside my own head, first I thought that was the dumbest thing ever because I was so unconscious. And m- most of us are really unconscious about that. And then I realized there aren't enough trees in the world for me to find the paper to write all this down. I am constantly deriding myself inside my own head. So I had to fix that. I had to address that. And then here's the other piece that our culture kind of stinks at, and that is self-esteem. People don't understand that our sense of self-worth is not hair, nails, your bank account, your job, whatever, whatever. It's really our character qualities, our values, how we are in relationship to others, and those sorts of things. And when we can get clarity on who we are inside ourselves and know that we really like and and respect who we are, who we are created to be, and that we're, you know, we're not perfect at living our values, but that we're working towards those values, then we can care for ourselves internally as well. And we can become our own best friend. So you would never run your best friend down and call them an idiot when they were trying to get out of a toxic relationship. You would say, you got this, you can do this. And so that's how you need to start talking to yourself inside your own mind so that you can be an encouragement internally and not 40,000 messages messages a day of negativity and toxicity inside your own mind. So that's a really important piece to starting to clear the fog and getting clear and getting out so that you're not running yourself down and running yourself into another toxic relationship. And that when you have a positive relationship that you can let that resonate with you and that you can know, yeah, that's true of me. And when they give you positive feedback, you don't cringe. You say, yeah, that's true of me. (laughs) It's that cringe you want to get away from. And if you cringe when people say nice things about you, then you for sure have a toxic relationship with yourself. Yeah, that's such a good point of like, can you take a compliment? Or are you kind of like, oh, no, that's not true. Or they're just being nice, or they don't really mean it. Yeah, <laughs> or they don't really know me or whatever. Yeah, if they really knew me. Hmm. And if you're someone like that, where like someone says something, and you say, oh, it's just temporary, or they, they just want to be nice, or they want something from me, or like, you know, you start to you start to go in like that kind of thing. How long do you think it takes to like stop that pattern where like, you can't accept a compliment, like anything someone says, you think it's like the opposite? Like, how do you really retrain that? And like, is it something where you need to journal every day? Or like, what do you need to do every day in order to like stop those patterns? I think it's it's an awareness and then as and then it's a practice. We are such habituated 
people. You know, we just habits kind of take a groove and they stick with the groove. But we can we can retrain ourselves so that every time you hear that negativity inside your mind, you say, wait a minute, stop. And then practice self-compassion. And self-compassion is a great phrase to use for yourself. And not everybody needs to journal. You can talk about it with a good friend or with a family member. And you can work through these things with a, a therapist or a family member or even a good friend. Or like if you're on your own, you can journal. And journaling is a great way to talk to yourself because you can vent out the negativity out and then you can say, yeah, but come on. (laughs) And you can kind of work your way back into a more positive framework. But it's funny because with that awareness, the change can happen pretty fast. It's The problem is when you're spinning in that lack of awareness and you're spinning in the crazy that it feels like it will never change and it will never be okay and that you're never going to feel any better. And that's where people go from just a toxic relationship into anxiety, depression, and even suicidality. And if you're suicidal, if you feel suicidal in a relationship, oh goodness, get help and get out because that is a real indication that you don't exist in that relationship. So when we talk about toxic, the way I think of that is that that person is all about themselves. Their complete drive is to get what they want, how they want it, when they want it, and you don't matter. Your dreams, your hopes, your thoughts, your feelings, none of you matters. They have no empathy for what you're going through ever. And they show that through all their control and manipulation games. And there's a thousand different games. And we talk about all those, the gaslighting and the isolation and the love bombing and devaluing. And and there's a hundred more, but all of those are designed to have control and manipulation over you. And when that happens, you really cease to exist. All of your time and attention and focus is on them, their needs, their moods, their emotions, their wants. And when that happens, you basically cease to exist and then you are in a toxic relationship. So part of the problem too is when you have that awareness and when you get out, then your life has become so empty that you want to go back in. And so that's the other problem is that you can be so bankrupt emotionally and physically and spiritually and even financially that you can run back to it because it's all you've known and it's kind of filled you up so much that you feel empty. Mm, This is so fascinating. I'm just taking in all all of this. And like, so that's like a toxic relationship. What's like a healthy relationship? Like, what are some ways that we're (laughs) able to gauge that we're like in the right relationship? It's healthy. It's thriving. What are some ways there be able to tell? Well, one of the things that really I marveled at when I met my my current husband is that he was an open book. There were just no games. He was really open about whatever he was feeling. He had no bitterness about past relationships where, you know, he wasn't treated right. He took ownership of his emotions. He was very interested in what I thought, what I felt, what I wanted, what I needed. But he also had a strong sense of himself and his own character qualities and his own wants, needs, thoughts, feelings, and could share those openly. There were no games, no agendas. He wasn't hiding. He wasn't sort of pretending anything. It was just like reading an open book. And I was, it was so much fun to get to know each other. He also wasn't in a rush. So a lot of times when you are wondering if you're being love bombed or love, if you take a pause and say, you know, I can't meet with you. I can't see you this week. I'm super busy or whatever. And if they kind of freak out and pout and, and give 
you a hard time. And, you know, that's somebody who's too selfish and, and not empathic and not hearing you and not letting you exist when they can say, absolutely, whatever you need, and they can go be okay on their own and then come back to the relationship without any hard feelings. That's a healthier relationship. So it's two holes meeting up and connecting instead of two empty people kind of trying to fill each other up. And what are some ways that you're able to gauge that you're whole, like you're ready for like a healthy relationship, like you were ready for something different than the past ones? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> I think that it, it is hard to know. And I think that we're never, we're never completely whole or there. And we are interdependent beings. We love to be in relationship. And I think it's healthy to be in relationship and to, you know, to spark that love in each other and, and to share love with each other. So I don't think we're ever all there. But I think also a healthy relationship helps us grow because, you know, my husband and I had so much in common and everything resonated, except he was really calmer than I was. At that time, I had a ton going on in my life. I was extremely stressed out and I would... His kids named me Zippy because I was just so, I was just constantly on and his well-deserved nickname. So, so I think that he helped calm me and I could see that, that he was sort of adding something to my life and I was adding to his too. And so there's wholeness in each of us in that we could each be okay on our own and okay and and wonderful connecting, but also that there are parts of us that we help and share with each other too. But I think if you if you feel too needy, if you feel too empty, and if you feel kind of too desperate, that you need to really spend that time on your own and you know rebuilding your life and reconnecting to other connections. I really am a big fan of encouraging people to volunteer because you're going to meet new people who also are empathic and compassionate and do doing things for others. It's a great way to, you know, if if you find something that you're passionate about and then volunteer in that, you're going to find other people who are your people. So if you've lost a lot of your people during that relationship or you never had a lot of connections, that's a great way to, to build new connections and to get to know yourself again. Because again, you may have been so bankrupted by this person that you don't even know who you are and you feel really empty. The last thing you want to do is go attached to someone else to feel filled up again. You really want to peace within yourself, be able to spend time on your own. Nature is a really important healer and learning to go hiking on your own or biking or kayaking or whatever it is that you would love to do. Those are the kinds of things to begin to do for yourself so that you can come to a new relationship a lot more whole. And then if you find you're becoming really needy and dependent within the relationship, it's time to take a step back because you may have you may be getting into old patterns of sort of enmeshing instead of connecting. And that's a, a really important thing to not let happen. And when someone like they're getting out of a relationship and they're experiencing like those withdrawals, like I feel like withdrawals <laughs> happen of like you miss like the connection of that person, you miss like talking to that person, all those things come back up. What do you recommend doing while experiencing those withdrawals to like kind of like make sure you don't go back to that person or text that person or engage with that person? 
Oh, that's so important too, that we do. It is like a drug almost because you are, you know, it, it's negative and it's toxic. It's poisonous to you. And yet you, you have this emotional connection to it that is like a drug addiction. And so it's really, really important that once you make that wise mind decision, and once you remember that you can love and leave and that you ha- have to, you want to honor that decision to leave, then you just walk it through. And you basically are dragging your heart along because it does not want to go. And you have to quiet that down in whatever way you can. So a lot of self-calming strategies, prayer and meditation, trying again to connect with the people that you got isolated from if you sort of lost some of your connections during this relationship or connecting with new people and doing things as well on your own. Because again, we also get devalued in a lot of people have been told you'll never make it on your own. You need me, that kind of thing. And so a lot of people, even really intelligent, capable, uh, professional people feel like they can't be alone. And that's such a, a tragedy because, you know, some of the best times in our lives can be alone. I love to hike alone, even though my husband loves to hike too. I love to go hiking on my own because it's just my peaceful place with, you know, God and nature. It's just beautiful. So it's really important that we become our own best friend, that we learn to be alone and we learn to sort of take ourselves out for nice out whatever sort, and that we, again, quiet down that emotional mind and allow ourselves to walk through that healthy decision that we made. And and if we have to go back to the facts, that's why I like encouraging journaling. So you've written out all the facts of this relationship. You've made that good decision. And every time you start to waffle, go back to the facts and, and recognize, no, I made a good decision. And if you have a person that you can, you know, sort of set up and say, don't let me go back. <laughs> If I want to text, I'm going to text you instead. And you need to say, stay the course, don't do it, stand your ground. (laughs) And remind me why I don't want to be with that person anymore. And that that can be a really good safety net for when you start to get sucked back in. Yeah, we need at least one of those people. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. (laughs) And that person that will tell you like it is and not just, oh, yeah, go do. Yeah. Yeah, follow your heart. No, no, no. No. Yeah. And what are what are some of your favorite um, self-calming strategies? Oh, yeah. Going out hiking. You know, the first thing, again, in our culture, we don't learn how to breathe deeply. We are kind of frantic, running and gunning. We're constantly on our phones and tablets and computers, and, and we're constantly pumping noise into our brains. And that creates this spinning noise. And so quieting ourselves, I like to go sit and just even to sit in my backyard for a while and watch the birds and listen to them. You know, just the soft focus of looking out at nature is so critical. In one of my videos early on, I did a a thing on, it's called the joy of missing out, (laughs) JOMO. People are into the fear of missing out and there's a real joy in missing out. You can take yourself away and, you know, even if you live in a city, there's, there are parks and you can go and sit and just look at nature. Or if you don't have any of that, you can have plants in your home and just sit and have soft focus and breathe and self-calm. I think this is a place where whatever your spirituality is comes into play and that you can focus on 
you know, that higher love in the universe or, you know, God or spirit or whatever it is that you believe and just breathe and self-calm. And again, be your own best friend. Tell yourself it's going to be okay. This is, this too shall pass. You're, you, you know, who you are, you like and respect and, um, and just quieting your insides. I've never heard of Jomo before. I like it. It sounds like <laughs> catchy. Like <laughs> kind of cool but it never really caught on that well yeah I like it it's cool and I'm like wondering in terms of like if you have any like thing you think about this but like when you're starting a new relationship you want to think of like pacing and different things is there anything you Uh think of in terms of like pacing or like taking your time or like in terms of like any thought process there in terms of making sure this is healthier than the last one in terms of like how you should set it up in the beginning Absolutely. Yeah, the I also did a video early on called How to Develop a Trustworthy Creepo Meter and, and the one thing that will de- derail it. So developing a, an, a trustworthy creepo meter means that you are so healthy internally or that you're healthy enough internally that you're self-supporting, that you know who you are and what you're about so that when you meet a new person, you're watching their behavior and your their actions and how they treat people and how they talk to you and how they are open about themselves or not, and how they processed their old relationships. Are they bitter? Are they angry? Are they blaming? Are they taking responsibility? So those are all the things to notice in a person. And a person can tell you till the cows come home that they're empathic and they're compassionate. But what do you see? Are they laughing at people's pain? Are they making fun of people who have hardships? Are they, you know, what makes them laugh? What makes them happy? And is do they celebrate other people's joy and successes or do they run people down and try to one-up them? So all these things are things that you want to log when you're early on in a relationship. And the one thing that's going to derail all of that is intimacy early on. (laughs) So there's this stuff called oxytocin in our brains and it's actually the same chemical that gets triggered if you're breastfeeding a baby. It is that powerful of a connector to another person. So when you think about getting intimate with a person too early on, you are getting bonded to that person really powerfully with powerful, powerful chemicals in your brain. And if you don't really know and trust and and care about and respect that person yet, it's like handing your car keys, your house keys, and your PIN number to your bank account to someone you don't even know very well. Your body is way more important than all those things. And yet a lot of times people in our culture, especially nowadays, they think that, you know, three dates in and I better be jumping in the sack with this person because that's what's expected. Well, that's a really foolish thing to do because it derails your creepo meter. It bonds you to this person really powerfully and you're going to have a much, much harder time really assessing who this person is. You don't know a person really well until you've seen them frustrated, when you've seen them disappointed, upset, sad, angry. All of those things really indicate who a person is and what they're about and how they do life. And if you want to do life, with somebody, you need to know how they do life. And so if you jump in too quickly, then you are handing them the keys to your car, your house, and your bank account PIN number. So you just want to you want to step back. And again, if you have a sense of this person pushing a little bit too fast, faster than you want, and you do take a step back, and then they go, ah, give you attitude or whatever, then you know you've dodged a bullet. And so don't then undermine yourself and run to them and, oh, no, 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 I'm ready, ready, ready. 
because then you are letting them know that all they have to do is throw a little tantrum and you're you're all in. Mm-hmm. So we tend to, you know, the other thing I like to warn people about is the three Ps, people pleasing, placating, and peacekeeping. And those are the three ways that we undermine ourselves. So if you think about what you want, how you feel, what you need, and then you undermine it with the people pleasing and placating, then you are telling that person that you don't matter and that only they matter. So you're setting those things in motion early on. And do you like recommend like doing like relationship check-ins or any questions in the beginning or like seeing like different areas of a relationship early on, like asking different questions, seeing like long-term capable, like how compatible you guys are going to be long-term or do you kind of like space it out or like, is there anything like strategic you do kind of like towards those first couple months? (laughs) I think it's healthy to not be strategic. I think it's if if you can't be organic with someone, then there's something amiss. You know, again, I think so much of our culture is so manipulative and controlling, and I really prefer relationships to evolve organically. But I think some some healthy questions to ask early on are what happened in your past relationships, and I think that that can be offer you so much information. Again, are they blaming the other person entirely? Did they learn anything? You know, if you ask somebody, what did you learn from that relationship? What did you learn about yourself? What did you learn about how you do relationships. Those are really important questions to ask someone and you will get so much information from that. If they didn't learn anything from the past relationships, then then they have no new information going in and they're going to probably reenact the same thing they acted out before with you. And so also you have to thwart your desire to think that you are going to somehow save them and rescue them and you're going to be the one that changes them. Uh, don't. <laughs> if you are going into a relationship thinking of this person as a project, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> Knowing that somebody has learned something and has grown from the past is really critical. And so even if they learned that they want something different, or if they learned that they tend to be too distant in the, in the beginning, or that they jumped in too quickly, or that they got committed too soon, or they learned that they have a problem with their anger, you know, if they can be open and honest about something like that, then then that's a better foundation. But if they're just like, oh, no, she was a turd, or he was a hole or whatever, (laughs) then you haven't gotten anywhere. You've got to, you know, even if they had a bad relationship, they need to have learned something about themselves from that and something about how to do a relationship differently. And do you ask about kids, marriage, all that early on or are you late? You know, I think it's probably healthy to ask early on because I've known people who've gotten really, really attached to each other and then found that there was something that was a major deal breaker like kids in marriage. And if someone's not wanting that, trying to talk them into it later is not a good plan. You're just sinking your own ship and really breaking your own heart. Because like I said, that oxytocin, when that takes hold and you get bonded to someone, and if you're a loving and compassionate, empathic person, you're going to stay and stay and stay and try and try and try. And so you don't want to get that process going with someone who's really not relationship material, not marriage and kids material, if that's what you want, or if they want kids and you know you don't, you don't want to go into that thinking that you can change them. 
because those are really important things. If you want that, or if you don't want that, those are major deal breakers. And even spiritual beliefs, you know, for some people, those are deal breakers. And if that's true for you, you have to lay that out up front and not think that you can change that person or that you can change yourself. You know, if you want kids, but you say, but I really love this person. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to state that you're breaking your own heart because if you want kids and that's who you are, oh my gosh, don't deny yourself that. That's such a beautiful experience and it's so critically important for the rest of your life. So don't deny yourself those things. Yeah. And do you have, I'm curious if you have anything you do with your husband, any like rituals, routines, anything that you've found to be like super helpful for your marriage? Uh, We pray together every night and that's a really important thing. And when we have a conflict, if we can't just work it out right in the moment, we'll go, we'll take some time and pray and come back. And that's been really, really healthy. And we laugh a lot. (laughs) We are, we are really, we just, I don't know. We just have a lot of goofy things that we say and do, and and we both can laugh at ourselves. And I think that's another critical thing to see in a person. I can see that right off the bat that he could laugh at himself, and I'm really good at that too. <laughs> and so that nobody, we neither one of us have so much sort of. Fra- I think that's a fragile ego that can't uh, laugh at themselves sometimes because we are silly beings. We are just absolutely goofy, and we do the dumbest things. And some of of our conflicts have been really dumb and we laugh about them now because they were so dumb but being able to laugh at yourself is a really healthy thing and and not in a mean way ever but just being able to see our goofiness and our sort of ridiculous humanness for what it is so yeah we do that and we we make sure that we take time to date um, because you know life can get busy and so going out on a date night is just really important sometimes and uh, and just really spending that time together, but really checking in with each other throughout every day and and being present with each other. And then sharing when we have, I think another really critical piece is sharing when you have a, a question. So a lot of times in a relationship, we'll get a whole conflict going inside our heads and not ever say it out loud. <laughs> and that's another thing we laugh at ourselves about from the past, but we don't do that anymore. But that we, if I have a question about something, or if he has a, a concern about something, thing. He'll just spit it out. He was the kind of person that was kind of conflict avoidant. And so he would just kind of bury something until it became so big that he then blurted it out. And I would say, why didn't you say that two weeks ago? (laughs) I didn't know you were stewing on that. And so now he'll say it right away and you'll sort it out right away. So I think that's another really important thing is just to be open and organic with each other all the time to share and, uh, and be checking in and, and recognize too that, that your perception about something might be completely off. So I don't get married to my perception of that conflict, I ask and I accept the other person's perspective. Because sometimes, you know, when when I encourage people to check in with each other and they will do that, but then they won't listen to the other person's perspective. And they'll say, no, 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 you think this or you feel that. Well, that's not true. If you check in with your spouse and, and they say, no, that's not true. This is how I felt. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, cool. So that's really important too, is that we genuinely listen deeply and that we accept the other person's perspective as separate from our own and important. Mm. I like that not being married to our perception of what we think is mm. going on. That's really good. 
Well, I have a final question for you. If you were to go back in time and talk mm. to your 20-year-old self, what would you want to tell her? Or if you want to tell her nothing at all, that's an option as well. Oh, I would tell her I would tell her that the, the mess inside her own mind is, <laughs> is optional. <laughs> that she can start to sort that out and that she can start to be her own best friend and that everything else will sort itself out from that internal shift. And that, yeah, that she is not her own internal thoughts at the way they're sorted right now, that she is something much more special and much more interesting and wonderful and capable. Mm, beautiful. I loved interviewing you today. <laughs> Thanks, Sophia. I really loved being with you. And where can we find you? Where can we connect with you? So I have a website called therapisttalks.com, a YouTube channel called Therapist Talks, and actually my new website is called nofoggydays.com, but both therapisttalks.com and nofoggydays will get you there. Book is Out of the Fog into the Clear. It's on Amazon and Kindle, and um, and, yeah, I talked about the the YouTube channel, Therapist Talks. Uh, I do live streams every other week. It's a question and answer. It's very casual. So jump in there and ask me any questions and I welcome everybody. And I just want everybody in the world who's struggling with these things not to feel alone like I felt when I was in my 20s. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'd love if you can leave me a review on iTunes. Please feel free to share it with any friends you think the story would resonate with. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.